Good morning again, PLCC. So we're calling this sermon series um, that is leading up to Lent next month, The Power to Change. Pastor Becca set the table very well for us last week when she spoke on the power to change our future, corporately as a church, but also individually as followers of the simple way of Jesus, even apprentices, if you will, of Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as Jesus' apprentice? I hope you do. Um, I sure do. Uh, That's what I am. That's what you are. But in her sermon, Pastor Becca reminded us that the power to change our future must begin with repentance, a turning of some kind. And then it must continue with surrender to the Holy Spirit. Now, these are not easy things. They're not easy, repentance and surrender. In fact, both of them are are fairly challenging to us. But they are hard and good and not hard and bad. Today I want to go a little deeper and we'll continue to do this through the six-week series uh, that's before us here because I want to submit to you that um, through, though the power to change begins with these hard things, repentance and surrender, the power to change deepens with trust in the midst of personal challenge. It deepens when, in, with trust when the wheels fall off. And dear people, the wheels will fall off. That's what happens in life. There will be personal challenge. It's hard, just as repentance and surrender is hard. But it is all a normal part of the process of change. Some of you will recognize the title, uh, my title in the message today, uh, Into the Wild. And actually, it should have a question mark there because that's the question I'm asking. Into the Wild is our question today. And if you know that title, you might recognize the title as uh, the title of a really good book by John Krakauer. Any of you read the book, Into the Wild? Okay, not very many. It's a great book. In it, Krakauer, John Krakauer, great uh, adventure writer, uh, chronicles the exploits, the true exploits, the historic exploits of people who have felt called to go into the wilderness, either bravely or foolishly, legitimately or, or uh, uh, in, in, a, in a very foolish way. And while the book tells a bit of the backstory and, and forestory of a young man by the name of Christopher McCandless, who went into the Alaskan wilds and did not survive. Uh, the book is more about the concept of wilderness and the the, the uh, attraction of wilderness to some and its and its dread to others. Now, some of you know a movie was made of the book. If you didn't read the book, did you see the movie? Okay, more hands going up on the movie. Um, as with most of these, the book is far better than the movie. And that's particularly so because the book, the, the, the movie chronicles the young man, Christopher McCandless, and his story. But the book is much more deep in going into other wilderness circumstances, famous ones and, and less known ones. Uh, the book is far broader on the simple subject of wilderness as a concept and not just as a story for this one man. Now, I'm an outdoorsman. I'm not a hunter but an amateur naturalist. 
Now, I've got nothing against hunting. My beloved brothers all hunted. My three sons-in-law hunt. Uh, My daughters weren't raised with hunters. My son does not hunt, but my sons-in-law all hunt. I, 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 uh, I enjoy reading about hunting, but my outdoorsmanship, if there is such a word, has more to do with my love for natural beauty. I loved the, the screens here with the mountain scenes and the movement of the mountain scenes. I felt like I was in a helicopter. It was, it was awesome. By the way, thank you again to the, to the team in the back and the team in front before us. Beautiful presentation, beautiful worship, beautiful songs. I love the song, Goodness of God. It makes me cry every time I sing it. But, um, I am into such much more things like natural beauty, photography, hiking, camping, uh, great interest, doing a lot of reading in the natural sciences. It's not only what I do in my spare time, but it's what I think about in my daydreams. All my life, love for the natural world has even been a spiritual pathway for me, a, a way to be close to God, a way to be in the presence of God in God's majestic sanctuary. And I even do a lot of writing on the spiritual parallels that I find in God's creation. I even write a blog on the subject for the last 10 years. If this kind of thing interests you, feel free to ask me about it, and I'll point you to it. Outdoors people, both hunters and non-hunters, hunters and naturalists, they find great beauty in the wild places. And, And we find great delight in being in such places, places that may even be called wilderness. The wilderness, of course, is relative to each person. My sister-in-law, Gail's sister Pam, uh, who would never be caught dead camping, I think her definition of wilderness is is any hotel room without two sinks and a king-size pillow uh, top bed. <laughs> but then, then there is true wilderness. The remote less accessible places, often quiet, sometimes definitely, def- definitely loud, sometimes large, often small, but always either literally or figuratively far from crowded throngs and the madding crowd. Now, wilderness is a concept that has actually changed uh, in recent history because it's very different in the modern mindset than it was in the ancient one. In fact, the concept of wilderness as a place to be protected, as a place to be, uh, as a place of pristine beauty to be valued, even preserved, is of fairly modern origin. Only in the last 175 years ago, 1850 and beyond. And even then, still today, by many, it is seen as it was by the ancients, a place of hardships, a place of threats, a place of danger, a place of the absence of modern conveniences, even the simplest of conveniences, something to be avoided at all costs or conquered if possible. That was the idea. Wilderness was to be conquered. Wilderness was to be tamed now, it's intriguing to me, in spite of that ancient idea of, of wilderness and it's something to either be avoided or changed, the Bible often shows wilderness as a preferred place to meet God. 
a preferred place to meet God. The people of Israel, recently released from Egyptian bondage, had to go there to find and learn release from a bondage far worse than slavery. David went there to find his true companions. Elijah went there to find the voice of God. John the Baptist called people out there uh, to learn godly obedience. People, even Jesus, had to go there to find his strength. And I think of great heroes of the faith throughout history, and the same is true for them. And we need to go no further than to just consider with MLK Day tomorrow the wilderness that Dr. King endured for the sake of the call. He was well acquainted with the wilderness. Then you have seen that incredible documentary, King in the Wilderness. Raise your hand if you've seen that. Check it out. It's it's really worth seeing. You might find it on Netflix or or Prime. Uh, King in the Wilderness just chronicles the last three years of his life and uh, the challenges that that he faced and the the, the, uh, burden that just becomes increasingly weighty. And when I think of this man, he was only... You know, in his prime, he was in his 30s. And he died when he was 39. And, and just imagining the burden that, that he bore. He continued to live by that truth, though. He quoted this way. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can drive out hate. That was the burden he stood under. That is the, that is the message he proclaimed. And he bore his life, and it cost him his life through this crazy wilderness. And so, you know, to move from that dramatic idea to a simple idea that Pine Lake right now is going through its own wilderness. Something of a wilderness, one you might not have anticipated at this time. Your pastor has needed some personal time. What does that mean? When he when will he return? Is he okay? Yes, he's okay. Our staff is changing. Pastor Nancy is leaving. What will that mean for us and our children's ministry? And you know, this is the way that wildernesses are. It leaves us with questions. Hundred questions and not many answers at least in in the time being. Many of you have faced terribly challenging wildernesses, personal wildernesses in your life. Some of you are facing them right now. Can my wilderness be a place for me to learn trust or to learn to find or meet with God again? Will it be a time of dreaded danger of threats, or will it be a place where new freedoms are discovered, new gifts, new dependencies on a God who loves you and loves your church so very much? Okay, finally to our text this morning. From the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, it's chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And it will be projected for us in a moment, and I'm going to ask you to read it with me once it's projected. 
But I want to set the context for you just a moment. We're coming to the end of what's called the Jewish Torah, the five great books of Moses, the five traditional books of Moses, the great early leader. Now, Moses has been a leader with them for decades at this point, by the time Deuteronomy comes along. He has almost single-handedly, but still quite reluctantly, not only led the people out of Egyptian slavery, but he has led a a completely recalcitrant people and often unappreciative people through now 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Wanderings in which they have finally seemed to learn some pretty important things about their relationship with their providing God, their Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. Now, he's nearing the end of his life. By the way, I I think I've heard it said that um, it took 400 people for, for God to get the people of Israel out of Egypt, but then it took 40 more years for God to get Egypt out of the people. So Moses, as he's nearing the end, he knows this is happening. There are some final words he wants to speak, which are recorded throughout uh, the book of Deuteronomy. He reminds the people where they have been, the challenges, uh, challenges them as to where they are about to go. And so especially chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Deuteronomy possess to me what are the best of Moses' last words to the people. Starting with what is known to those of the Jewish faith as the great Shema of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I command you today shall be before you and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you are in public and private, when you're lying down and when you're rising up. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Words that would be paralleled by Jesus Christ when he was asked, what is the, what is the most important commandment? Jesus refers to the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus says a second commandment is very much like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the prophets, all the law can be summed up in this way, Jesus says. So um, uh, this Shema, this Deuteronomy 6, these, these, these verses here in this place are um, the foundation of both Jewish faith and Christian faith. But here in chapter 8, he brings them back to their wilderness and reminds them what the purpose was, what his purpose was. So will you read this together with me? It's going to be before us. Let's read together. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. If you look down four or five verses beyond that text, if you have your Bibles open, very similar kind of verse. Just it, it, this wilderness was a time for God to show how good he will be to you. What a great challenge that Moses gives the people. It's, it's fantastic last words. Moses asked the people to look back, to see how God has provided, to see how their wilderness period shaped them. You know, it was no picnic. It was no easy stroll in the park. There was testing. There was humbling. There was learning. There was loss. There was discipline. Oh, there's that word we don't like. But all of these for the purpose of God bringing you to a good place, a rich place where you can finally see the blessing and good that the Lord has intended for you all along. Today, even for outdoors people who seek them out, wildernesses present their extreme challenges. I've been in wildernesses that uh, I was afraid I was lost. But the truth is that entry into a spiritual wilderness has tremendous potential for positive personal change, even transformational change. The question is, which way are we allowing ourselves to be bent toward? In the words of Covenant Pastor Brenda Salter McNeil, which way is our bentness? Bent toward God or bent away from God? William Bridges has written a fantastic book on change called simply Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. Making sense of it because there are a lot of it that's just plain confusing. In it, Bridges reminds us the difference between change and transition. Change is external. Transition is internal. Change is what happens to me Transition is what must take place inside of me, within me, as a result of that change, either positively or negatively. Change is what happens suddenly to you as a church in these last months. Transition is what must take place successfully within you in order to come through it healthily and well. Change is inevitable. Transition 
is a personal choice. Or in your church's case, a corporate choice. But Bridges also has something uh, insightful to say about wilderness. It's not rocket science, but he speaks about three stages or seasons in every major transition. And we're talking about positive things, negative things, and neutral things. What happens in every time of these seasons of change? Positive changes, accomplishing a goal, falling in love, uh, uh, having a child, uh, accomplishing a new job, or negative things, losses of a job, losses of our health, losses of loved ones. All the major things that are neither positive nor negative, but just the neutral and normal but big stuff of life. Getting a job, adjusting to new physical limitations. Again, all these changes, whether positive, negative, or somewhere in between, has these three stages, and those stages are, I said it wasn't rock and science, Every transition is coming with endings, a middle place or neutral zone, and beginnings. We think that every every change starts with beginnings. No, every change starts with endings. And 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 the needing to deal with what those endings mean. That middle place where it can also be defined by chaos or wandering or wondering or confusion. And then that third season where new things finally seem to open up for us. And so in these seasons, we have to come to terms with them one at a time. We have to come to terms with what is ending and the possible losses that might be inherent in those endings because, again, um, uh, the problem with change is that it usually feels like loss. Then we must next come to terms with a period of time when we readjust. And this is the really hard place, Bridges says, and he goes so far as to call this time the wilderness time. And finally, we come to terms, after those two things, we come to terms with the new possibilities that are before us, but only after we have endured and journeyed through the pain of endings the transitional neutral wilderness middle zone, only then the places of possibility are more clear to us. And if this is corporate change, as it is with the church, the challenge about that is that people reach these stages at different times. Or they begin to reach them at very different times. This is what makes shared change so hard. But sharing change also has an upside. Sharing change is also what can make it more bearable as we hold each other up, as we pray for each other, and as we seek understanding from God together. I had the great blessing of working with the Covenant denomination about 10 years ago, developing a learning experience for late career pastors. Because we find uh, that a lot of our pastors need help in knowing better how to end well. But it's made up of three retreats through a, a year, a nine-month period, three retreats, about one every three months, retreat-based workshop experiences. The first one of these is called identity. Pastor Becca talked about identity last week. That's the first of these, of these retreats is called identity, where we help pastors understand that they are first and foremost beloved sons and daughters of God. They are not first and foremost pastors. 
They are not first and foremost preachers, biblical counselors. They are first and foremost, as are you, a son or daughter of our loving Heavenly Father. Now, the same thing needs to be known by any person before they leave their vocational career. Rocket scientists and brain surgeons included, or retirement will be extremely hard. You know, I have a doctor friend on on, uh, on Whidbey Island where we live that goes to our church in Bellevue. He still struggles. He's been retired for 15 years. He still struggles with not being a doctor because that's, def- that's what he feels defines him. Who am I? That's the question, not, not just what do I do. Now, the second retreat workshop that we, that was put together for pastors, and it was just a, a blessing to be able to do the, 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 uh, early work on this and be guinea pigs in it. The second, uh, retreat is called reality. We move from identity to reality. In other words, what can I expect to face when I stop being a pastor? What can I expect to face in retirement? What will life on Social Security and my savings look like? What in the world is Medicare? What will be my new health challenges that I don't even think about at this season in my 50s? In other words, we're moving from identity to reality. How do I live into, I used to be a minister, but I'm not any longer. I used to be a rocket scientist, but I'm not any longer. But there's one movement that is still necessary to learn, and so the third workshop retreat is called Possibility. We move from identity to uh, reality to possibility. What are the new opportunities possible for me in serving the kingdom of God? And that's been one of the great blessings for me of moving into this retirement stage of my life. Every day, I've got the margin to say yes to God. Every day, I've got the opportunity to say, God, who do you want to bring to me? Where do you want to take me? These three workshops, I think, can parallel very well the three seasons of transition that Bridges speaks of. And also, the the season that Moses is trying to lead the people through before he leaves them. Back to Moses. Who were the people of Israel before the wilderness? They were rebellious, self-centered people who did not know the differences between freedom and the flesh pots of Egypt. Who were they in the wilderness? Well, hopefully they were learners. They were discerners. They were discoverers of the spiritual heart of the nation. And who are they after the wilderness? They are people who now know their God intimately who follow him, perhaps not all of them, of course, but enough of them to anticipate a Messiah who will change our world forever. And they're able to wait for that Messiah to come, to watch for him, to prepare for him, to be there for him when he finally shows. What about that Messiah? Who was Jesus before he began his ministry? He was a son, both of God and his parents, his earthly parents. He was a tradesman laborer. He was a brother. Who was he in the wilderness? He was a learner. He was a transitioner. He was a desperate seeker after his heavenly father. People, he was one who met the enemy of his soul in that space and stared that enemy down. Who 
who was Jesus then after the wilderness? He was healer. He was exorcist. He was rabbi. And ultimately, he was savior, redeemer, son of God, son of man. That's what happens when we move healthily through a wilderness. So in closing, I simply need to be frank with you and tell you that I am very familiar with personal and spiritual wildernesses. And though this is not an appropriate place for me to say a great deal about them, nor is there time, I have to say that God has often brought me through the school of hard knocks to learn something about the the place of spiritual wilderness in the life of the believer, what has historically been called the dark night of the soul. I've had more than my share of broken dreams, of disappointment, and ministry challenges, even though it has been a wonderful 50 years in ministry. And that's to say nothing of the broken spaces I've, I've been asked to hold on behalf of others as a superintendent, as a spiritual director, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, and a son. But like I say, God has brought me, taught me a lot in these wilderness places, learning to put into practice the things I have been either learning or teaching for six decades as as an apprentice of Jesus. Along the way, you and I have some very bumpy spiritual rides, and yet we experience God's mercy in those spaces in remarkably profound ways, ways we never would have experienced had we not entered that wilderness. And so, my friends, our journeys from time to time do take us to places that we might rather not have gone. You and I have a choice before us at that point. My prayer is that you will find that when God bids you into a wilderness in your church life or in your personal life, as God is all, as long as God is also present there, which he is, then there is no place on earth where we'd rather be. Jesus has something for you. God has a strength for you. God has a place for you. Even sometimes through the seasons of hurt, the seasons of loss, the seasons of grief. God is there in those places. And so as you go forward in those places, know that Jesus goes before you to guide you. To, to, to bring you forward. Know that Jesus is behind you to spur you on. Know that Jesus is above you to watch over you. Know that Jesus is beneath you to bear you up. Know that he is beside you to be your friend, inside you to know you. That's the Jesus who leads us on this journey. So go on that journey. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Be the church of Jesus Christ to this wilderness world. Amen.